Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. unique Sunday in the life of our church. Um, never thought that we would be run out of the sanctuary uh, by bats, but I guess it kind of fits our current series. In a world of potential toxins, how do we continually align ourselves and reorient ourselves to Christ? to seeking God and his truth in the midst of a broken and toxic world, in the midst of distractions, in the midst of of unseen consequences or unseen uh, situations, how do we realign ourselves on a regular basis to Christ? So I'm glad we're together. Welcome to the Batcave. And uh, let's pursue Christ together today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. I always encourage you to bring your own Bible. That way you can look at the context in the midst of of our our conversation. But if you don't, we also have it up here on the screen as we lean into this. As we look at this uh, passage in in Ephesians chapter 6, this is right at the end of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Uh, The church at Ephesus has been... uh, deals with, on a regular basis, uh, competing idols and competing gods. Uh, With the Greek influence, there are so many things that might distract them from the truth, from the the one thing that that God calls them to, is to to follow after him, to step into that, that covenant that he has placed before him. Last week, we talked about the importance of seeking after God and God alone in the midst of a world full of distractions, how we must be intentional in that act. Paul is, is um, keen to call this out to the church at Ephesus. In a world of opposition, opposition what is the, the way of Christ? He writes this powerful truth beginning at the, at the beginning of Ephesians with uh, their spiritual identity, helping them to understand who they are and how that informs the way in which they live out their Christian lives, their, their lives to follow after the way, the truth, and the life, which is Christ. At the end of this letter, he concludes it with this image of the armor of God. He calls them to stand firm, to stand firm in their faith and, and what they know is truth in the midst of a, a world that is telling them all sorts of different truths. But to stand firm in your identity in Christ and stand firm in the way in which you ought to walk. You were called to walk. He calls them to stand firm and equip themselves for the battle that is at hand. Church, 
If we don't recognize in our world that we are in the midst of a battle for our souls, then the enemy has already penetrated our defenses and we find ourselves scrambling to get back into the fight. Paul knows this. Paul knows this this battle because in verse 20 of our text today, he talks about being an ambassador in chains, which means that he is in prison, most likely chained to or uh, very close to a Roman guard at all times. He's in prison because he has been declaring his faith, preaching the gospel in a world that is contrary to the gospel because he understands his identity. He understands what it means to proclaim that identity to the world and to be a minister of reconciliation in the world, to be an ambassador for Christ. And so he has been thrown in jail, a battle at hand. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10. And I'm gonna stop uh, periodically through the, the reading of this word to illuminate the text a little bit for us. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Recognize, church, that the fight may be through your awareness or, through your, or by your obedience, but it is not in your power. If you look up and you find that you are uh, surrounded by the enemy, that the enemy is attacking your children, attacking your lives, know that the, the, our fight back is not in our own strength and in our own power, but it is in his power that is so important for us. Verse 11, he calls us to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the bats, no, I'm sorry, against the, the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, there is a, a battle that we cannot see that's happening. We may see the, the, the different fronts of the battle in our lives, but there's a, there's a spiritual element to all the things that are happening in our world. Revelation uh, leans into this. He talks about this, this veil that, that, we, um, that we see in the, in the world. And he, Revelation is a pulling back of that veil to see the, the spiritual side of this battle that we experience in the physical. In a I was watching this uh, World War II documentary and they talk about the different battles, battlefronts of World War II. We, we oftentimes uh, associate these battles with um, these key, uh, key, key fronts, Pearl Harbor or uh, Stalingrad or uh, these different fronts. But what they talk about is the real war happens at the desks of the people who are strategically trying to, to negotiate their way into and, and claim victory, it's happening over the phone. It's happening as the orders are being called down, it's happening, but what we see, what we see is the battlefronts. Church, know, know that this war is being waged in the heavenly realms, and we see it manifest here in our world. We are, we are called, we have weaponry that can engage the battle in the heavenly realms. He talks about that later in, in, as he talks about prayer. 
Let's continue on. In verse 13, he calls them, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you might ask, when is the day of evil? I would say, uh, we're experiencing it right now and that we've been experiencing it since, since Jesus. We've been experiencing it for a very long time, the day of evil. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Recognize here in this, he calls us to stand firm, not just once, not just twice, but three times. Three times he recognizes this, this importance of us to stand firm as followers of Christ, that we are not to retreat and to run away from this battle, but we are to stand firm. We are to face this battle with the, the things that God has equipped us with. Wesley believed that it was important, even imperative, as a, a body of Christ that we stand firm in a world that is coming at us that we stand firm and hold our faith. In a minute, we're, we're gonna kind of look a little bit at this um, document that Bert sent out in an email, uh, call, in a pamphlet that Wesley wrote to his people, to the people that called themselves Methodists, the people who are now us today, our heritage today. In the final paragraph of that text, and uh, there's a, I think there's some copies on the, uh, the tables as you leave. If you want to take a look at, uh, Bert did a great job of kind of uh, paring this down and helping us, helping it to, to move out of Wesley's uh, old English language and into something that we can understand. But he encourages them to stand firm. Though you're a, a new people, though you are uh, a people who will come under attack, to stand firm as a beaten anvil to the stroke desiring nothing on earth, accounting all things but dross, that you may win Christ and always remembering it is the part of a good champion to be flayed alive and to conquer. The battle is at hand. The battle is coming for us, but we are called to stand firm. But how? How do we possibly stand firm in a world that is coming at us so immensely? Paul leans in and he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with, the, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Church, we could spend uh, weeks breaking down the armor of God, and I'd love to do that in a series. That'd be a, a fun series to walk through. Uh, but what Paul is doing is not necessarily telling us that we need to stand in front of the mirror every morning and, and put on, uh, physically, you know, put on the, this armor and recite this verse every morning as we put the, the armor of God on and, and kind of like suit up every morning. Now, what he's telling us is that there are these gifts that have already been given to you, that, that are already mine to give you, that you already have as, as inher 
as part of your inheritance as followers of Christ, you have been given these divine attributes, these weapons uh, to fight against, to, to stand firm in your faith. And it begins, I find it very interesting, he begins with the belt. I don't know about you, but when, you, when I get ready in the morning, I don't put my belt on first. Right? That'd be a, a very odd way to, to get ready. But uh, Paul is, is very specific to, uh, to highlight this as the very first thing that we ought to put on is the belt. You see, when the Romans would put on their armor, they would first put on their belt because it didn't necessarily uh, hold up their pants. It, it helped to gird their loins, as, as they would say. Uh, an old term that means to... to their long flowing robes, they would put the belt on to, to hike up their robes so that they can move freely without this, this long robe getting in the way. It allowed, uh, it allowed their, their shoes to be effective if they had the belt on properly. It, it allowed their sword to be in the right space, in the right place so that it was ready for them when they needed it. The belt helped to uh, secure the breastplate. The breastplate would clip into the belt so that it didn't slide around in the intensity of battle. You see the belt, without the belt, the whole armor falls apart. Paul understands that without truth, without the truth, what is our shield of faith if God cannot be trusted? What is the, the gospel, the good news, if it can be proven to be a lie? It's not good news at all. Or the sword of the spirit turns into a plastic prop if it has no authority, if it's just a, a book of moral teaching. We stand firm on the authority of scripture, my friends. If the enemy can attack the truth in our culture, in our society, in our church, in your heart, then he can chip away at the very foundations of your identity. He can chip away at the very foundations of your faith. In our society, there is a pressure to widen and nuance our con construct of the truth. And to even individualize it. You may have heard the phrase, speak your truth. Like as if it's your truth and no one else's. You cannot challenge someone's ideologies because it is their truth. If my truth is completely contrary to your truth, can both be correct? If this is the way in which we lean as a culture, if this is the way in which we accept the understanding of truth, then anything can be right. And therefore, nothing is right. In the end of Judges, one of the most dark times in Israelite history, the author narrows down the problem and the idolatry in which is happening in the world by saying this in Judges 21, he says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds a bit like our world, doesn't it? My friends, we are in a battle that was orchestrated at the desks in the heavenly realms. 
A battle on the front of our homes, a battle on the front of our schools, on the battle at the front of our churches, on the battle at the front of especially our hearts. Our battle as a church that follows after Christ, that knows our identity, that knows our path forward, that that stands firm in our faith is to reestablish and realign ourselves with the truth. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. St. Augustine uh, defined when he was dealing with this same concept, he said, truth is what is, not what we think about it. Thomas Aquinas came at it in a similar light. Truth is the conformity of the intellect to reality. The enemy's greatest attack on our society and on your life is to give you a lie filled with conjecture and opinion motivated by selfish agenda and to package it as truth. I was teaching the other day at, um, at Mission Northeast. It's a, a ministry partner that we have up in New Caney. And uh, every morning they have, uh, before they offer their services, they have a chapel service. And so the, the people come in and they, they sit and they have an opportunity to hear the word of God. And oftentimes I preview my sermons um, to, this, uh, to this group in a conversation-like manner. And so we begin to talk about this idea of, of the, the battle that they're experiencing and they all recognized that the battle was at hand, that they had experienced more than just a physical attack, but that they experienced uh, what seemed like flaming arrows and that their faith needed to stand firm. And one, one young woman, she raised her hand in, in all humility with a, a kind of a downtrodden look on her face She said, does this apply to internal struggles? Like these, I hear these flaming arrows from outside, but what about those from inside? Does this apply to those? Because I'm experiencing a whole lot of self-doubt. Self-doubt. Anxiety. Fear. You see, they all come from a, a, a counterfeit truth that someone has told us about ourselves, that the enemy has told us about ourselves, and when we align it with what we see in the mirror, it might ring true, but when we align it with the word of God, we're able to filter out those things, the messages that the, the world tells us that are no longer applied to us because we are in Christ when I was talking with Christine Eagy that you saw on the screen for Boundless Mercy, when she goes into the clubs and these, these women who have gotten trapped in webs of deception and webs of uh, human trafficking and are extorted and manipulated for, uh, for selfish gain from someone else, for someone else's greed and their, their lives feel so trapped, it is because someone has told them a lie that they've believed that they are of no value and worth. For us, church, to spiritually detox and to be, for us to be renewed in our faith, we must establish, reestablish, and realign our lives with the truth. So how do you know the truth? One, 
Oftentimes the world tells us to go with your heart, to trust your gut. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all else. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Our hearts can be so easily swayed by the messaging of the culture. There's a reason why ad revenue is higher than it's ever been because the culture can sway our hearts, can turn our compassions and change our understanding of the world around us. The heart might say that we just love everyone just as they are and accept them without any need or, or, or um, importance of change, of edification, of sanctification in our lives. But we understand that in scripture that, that love, real love requires accountability. If our child is running out into the street, real love would tackle them and not allow them to run into the street, even if it might cause pain. To punish our kids as they engage in harmful behaviors. You see, the heart can be swayed by culture. So we realign ourselves, not by the the feelings of our heart, but we align ourselves with truth in scripture. Some might say that we find a good example and watch what they do and then you will know and understand truth. We might listen to trusted sources and truth will come from our favorite news sources or authors or content creators or even pastors. They will give me the truth. I can just come to church every morning, every Sunday morning and then I will have truth without ever seeking it for myself. One time I was at a, at a UM Army building a wheelchair ramp. And uh, as we were building, the person was cutting the wood and she'd cut the wood and then um, she'd give that, give, uh, would cut the next piece of wood and then give the board and then cut the next piece of wood and give the board and cut the next piece of wood and give the board. And I recognized that our, our, our boards kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller as the, the ramp went down. And soon the boards weren't even touching both sides of the ramp. And, and so I went back to try to figure out what was going on here. You see, they're using the closest board they had to that size to cut the next board. And the template kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, further away from true, further away from plumb, further away from what was right. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And in the places that I screw up, the places that I mess up, look back to Christ. If you're looking for me, to me and Bert as the source of biblical truth for you, we're gonna try to lead you as best we can, but we will fail you. We will say something not right or we will slip up here or there. I hope it's not intentional, but I pray, I pray that you are aligning yourself with the one truth that is Christ. In an election year, there are gonna be as many truths as there are political candidates. In a, more, more truths than there are, uh, maybe than there are political agendas. (laughs) 
In a world of AI, where you can't look at the news without seeing some new AI technology that's coming up, uh, we are in danger of allowing the algorithms to tell us what is true. I think there's some, some really interesting uh, research being done on this and actually somebody within our church, Jed Anderson, is, is creating a tool to help us uh, realign AI back to the biblical standard, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And so actually on uh, February 18th, uh, we're having a, a conversation with him um, as he uh, is, is headfirst into this sphere uh, and really cutting edge for what it means for us to align ourselves with truth in a digital age um, in a beautiful thing. Friends, I want to close with this. Truth can only be defined by the creator of all things. And I want to invite, I'll invite the band to come forward. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A hard truth, but it is truth nonetheless. The truth of the word of God is the filter in which we weed out the lies of the enemy. Friends, how are you seeking truth through the word of God? The psalmist says in Psalm 119.11, I hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. Truth will not always feel good, but it will always challenge us and convict us. When we seek the Lord, we are seeking truth truth. Jesus said to the Jews who had followed him in John 8, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Wesley believed full heart in this truth to a people called Methodist. Would you stand firm? In a world that is coming against you, would you stand firm? Would you follow the way, the truth, and the life? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.